we're going to continue that discussion today about Christian growth by an examination of the one indispensable element of Christian growth in chapter 3 of Colossians. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created this new self or created him. The one indispensable element of Christian growth is Christ Himself. Everything that God does and will ever do in your life, He does through the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the benefits and the blessings of God that ever come to us will come through Jesus. He's the channel of God's grace. And the only grace of God that will ever reach you will come through Jesus Christ. He is the one indispensable element of Christian growth. Now there is a tendency, I think, to, to become attached to the things of Christ rather than to Christ Himself. And to become and to make Christianity or Christian living a matter of doing things, like keeping rules and regulations and and rituals rather than our relationship to Christ. Now it is true that God is the source of life and growth and God makes available to us to use some means or agencies for growth, for want of a better term we might call them instruments or tools. And if I were to ask you what are some of the means that God makes available to us for growth, you'd probably say, well, Bible study, because you'll never grow as a Christian without Bible study. Prayer, you'll not grow in, Christian, in the Christian life unless you pray. Christian fellowship. And all these things are essential and important, but there is something that precedes them. And if I had a chalkboard and I was going to draw a diagram, this is the way I'd diagram it. Up at the top I'd put God because He is the source of life and the source of all things and the head of all things. And beneath that I'd draw a little line to Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and beneath that some lines that would go out to Bible study and prayer and Christian fellowship. Because it doesn't matter how much Bible study you do, it's of no avail if you're not properly related to Jesus Christ. And you, it's, it's of no value how much Christian fellowship you have, how much you come to church if you're not properly related to Christ. And all the prayer that you do, you can pray an hour a day, every day, and that profits you nothing unless you're rightly related to Christ. Because the one indispensable element, Christian growth, is Christ Himself. So what Paul is saying is, is that we're not to become attached or occupied with the things of Christ. We're to become occupied with Christ Himself. And that's what's going on in the book of Colossians. These, this letter was written to people who were relatively new Christians and they were wanting to go on with God. And, and these teachers had come in to the, to the church community and they were saying, it's wonderful that you want to go on with God and grow in your relationship, your, your, in your Christian life. And this is how you do it. You keep all these religious festivals, you celebrate these religious festivals, and you keep these rules and these regulations, and you become occupied with them. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not the way to Christian growth. The way to Christian growth is to become occupied with Christ Himself. He's the one indispensable element of Christian growth. Now, the question is, how do you do that? I mean... How is it that you become occupied with Christ? It's amazing what seeing Jesus will do for somebody. And so John says in his epistle, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, which is an audacious statement in itself. And it is not yet, it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And if you stopped that verse right there, you would say, that's exactly what I'm looking for. All of my life I've been trying to find out how to be like Him. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him. How? For we shall see Him as He is. And Paul says it in another place, For we now are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being changed, being transformed into the same image from glory unto glory. And how and what Paul is saying is, is that in this life, not after Jesus comes, but in this life we are being transformed to be more and more like Him. How is it possible? Why, looking into Him as into a mirror. And so Jesus in the sixth chapter of John had just finished another miracle. He fed the 5,000, the only miracle found in all the Gospels. And great crowds of people were following Him. You would too. I mean, if somebody was performing a miracle every day in your presence and you just fed the 5,000, you'd be following too. I, you know, what's He going to do next? Man, get around Jesus. And there'll be another miracle. About that time, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, there is no life in you. And these people turned, the scripture says, and they went away never to follow him again. Now let me tell you what Jesus was saying. He's saying you're occupied with what I'm doing. You're attached to the, the miracles that I'm performing. There is no life in you until you're occupied and attached to me alone. 
Now the question is, how has that happened? How do you become occupied with Christ, who is the one indispensable element of, of Christian growth? Well, there are three verbs in this passage that give us the steps to occupation with Christ. The first is found in verse 1. Keep on seeking the things which are above. Now that's present tense linear action verb. It means to keep on what has already started. It means to keep doing that process which was begun in the past. Keep on seeking the things above. It has to do with motivation. You ever played with a compass? A compass is a fascinating thing. I don't understand them. There are a lot of things I don't understand, but that's just one of them. So what I'm going to say about the compass, it, it exposes a great deal of ignorance. And there are a couple of guys here this morning who will remind me how little I know about a compass after this is over and in the next week. I can count on that. Now, in a simplistic way, a compass is a, it has a needle on it that seeks magnetic north. You can't fool a compass. Mysterious as it is, as a matter of fact, in the 12th century, the Roman church disbanded. They, they banned all compasses because they thought they were instruments of witchcraft. How do you explain one of those things? What about in a simplistic way that compass needle just kind of flops around there seeking magnetic north? And you can turn it around and around, but you can't fool it. And you can take the top of that compass off and you can change the S and put it where the N is, take the N and put it where the S is, and you put the cap back on it, it's still going to seek magnetic north. There is something there that seeks magnetic north. Now, if your life is really in Christ and you have been born again, there is something inside of you that seeks the Lord. And what Paul is saying is that like that needle seeks magnetic north, your life is to seek Him, keep on seeking Him, so that everything you do is motivated by your relationship to Him. Now there are so many things, sadly enough, that motivate what we do. Like the compass seeking magnetic north, he said, you keep on seeking the things that are above, like a plant that grows toward the light. I think I know why a tree grows up instead of sideways. If I went out in my front yard this afternoon and I could, and I spoke to that big oak tree and the oak tree could speak English or I could speak oak, I'd say to the oak, why do you grow up instead of sideways? And the oak would say, I'm headed to the sun. I'm headed to the light. Like a plant that seeks the light. I've got plants in my, my, my office. I checked it out this week. They grow toward the light. That's why some of your plants are growing toward the television set. It's the only light you've got in your house most of the time. Like a plant that seeks the light. He said, seek the Lord, keep on seeking Him, so that, so that what motivates me in everything I do is my relationship to God. How is this going to affect my relationship, my relationship with Him? And Paul says it in another way. He said, our ambition, whether at home or absence, is to please Him. There is a legend that a wealthy merchant came to the city of Rome and he'd never met Paul and he wanted to meet him. 
And so he looked up Timothy and said, Can you introduce me to this man, Paul? And so they went down to the dungeon, down through the halls of the catacombs to that cell where Paul was chained to the praetorian guard. And for the first time, the wealthy merchant met the apostle. He was older than he thought. He looked old. He, he was frail and emaciated. But there was something about the apostle Paul that was like iron striking flint. There was a spark. There was, there was a dynamic. There was life. There was enthusiasm. There was love. There was warmth. There was there was something on fire in his life. And after a short visit, they left. Outside the cell, the wealthy merchant turned to Timothy and said, What is the secret of that old man's life? And Timothy said, Well, Paul's in love. He's in love? Yes, he's in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the merchant said, Is that all? And Timothy said, Oh, sir, that's everything. The Apostle Paul said, keep on seeking him like someone in love and let everything you do be motivated by your relationship to him. Now let me see if I can make this more practical. All you did last week, last week what you did, was it motivated by your desire to please him or self? Keep on seeking the things above. Second, set your mind on things above. Now if you've got a King James it sets your affection but it's not really that it's 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 the thought life set your mind on things above. Now whereas the first verb was in present tense linear action the second verb is in aorist tense. It means once and for all decisively set your mind on things above. Now, I think some of us have the idea that, that God will zap us and all of a sudden all we'll think about is the Lord, like you fall in love, you know? Some of you have been in love or are in love and you just fell in love and zing went the bells of your heart, you know, and, and all you think about is that person. Let me tell you something, that's not the way it works. It's not what he's talking about here with regard to setting your mind on things above. For we don't live by inspiration, folks. We live by volition. Now, I am a little bit concerned about what we watch on television. And this is not a sermon about, you know, the evils of television. It's not that at all. Let me tell you some of the goofy stuff we watch. You know, I was reading a, I was reading a, a, a the review of the new fall programs, not by a. a a religious critic but by a secular critic and this person made this observation that there is nothing on any show this year in prime time that has any kind of connection to anything religious normal religious activity nobody's going to church nobody prays none of that no Bibles ever and 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 if there is any reference to religion it's in a joking uh, denigrating way the conclusion the implication of that is is that that kind of thing is not normal to life. And what is normal is what you see in the soaps, you know, in the afternoon it's sexual exploitation, at night it's violence. You ever notice what Oprah has on her program? That's the goofiest stuff 
I have ever seen. I mean, you're flipping through the channels and there's three women there and, and they're there because their husbands sleep with their grandmothers. I mean, it's, it's weird, you know. And, and, and what the implication of that is that this is normal way that people live. And what I'm trying to say is, and I think you agree with me, even though it is a little bit far-fetched, is that we're being, our thought life is being shaped by the world. Now what Paul is saying is this, that you have to make up your mind what you're going to see and what you're going to listen to what you're going to listen to and you're going to have to make up your mind what you're going to let your children watch and you need to make a decision about what you think about day after day. And I heard about this guy who, whose responsibility was to blow the whistle of this factory at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And as he'd walk to work, he'd stop by this clock shop and he'd get his watch and he'd set it by the clocks and the watches in that, that, that clock shop. And he did that for 20 years. But one morning he was standing there looking in the window, you know, and he, they'd had a burglary the night before in the neighborhood. And so the guy in the clock shop, he'd seen this fellow standing there before, but he was a little more than curious now because he was suspicious. So he went outside and he said, what are you doing? He said, well, for 20 years, he said, I, I blow the whistle out here at this factory. He said, for 20 years on my way to work, I set my watch by your clocks. And the man said, well, that's amazing. For 20 years, I've been setting my clock by your whistle. Now, now the problem is, is that some of us are setting what our thought life by the, what the world thinks what the world says about how you make a living, what the world says about what you do with others, what the world says about what you do with your body. Now why is this so important? It's because the thought is the father of the act. Because what a man thinks, so is he, you see. He was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. His father was a deacon, his mother was a Sunday school teacher. He was active in his church group, one of the strongest, Broadmoor Baptist Church, one of the strongest Baptist churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. He was a high school athlete, a star. He was, he was popular. He went to LSU. He became leader on campus. He was the president of the BSU. He married his childhood, his high school sweetheart. She was a dynamic Christian. He surrendered to the ministry. He came to Dallas to go to seminary. He was so outstanding that the First Baptist Church in Dallas sponsored him, got him before a church in Irving, Texas, a prominent church in Irving, Texas. He became their pastor while he was in the seminary. Last summer, he was arrested, convicted and tried, confessed as the North Dallas rapist and got 12 consecutive life terms for the most vicious, violent rapes that have been committed in Dallas. He lost his children. He lost his marriage. He lost his life. He'll die in prison. Somebody asked him why he did that. He said, I started reading dirty magazines. I started watching pornographic films. I became obsessed with it, and I had to find somebody who would live out my obsession, who would commit those pornographic acts for me. Now some of you have locks on your doors. 
I've got two on each of my doors. Things keep going on, I might put three on there. I've got a little, little round hole in the door that I peek out to see who's there. When I go visit, I put my finger. <laughs> and the reason why we have those little round holes so you can look out is that you're very careful, you're very careful about what you allow inside. How much more what you allow in your mind. Now this is what the apostle is saying. You must, if growth ever occurs, set your mind on things above. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm looking into the faces of some this morning. I can tell by your attitude you're thinking. Listen to that, that wild guy up there. The problem with the world is that people are so preoccupied with religious stuff. You've got your heads in the clouds. Let me tell you something. That's not the problem of the world. The problem of the world is not that people think too much about Jesus. The problem of the world is, is that he has become alienated from our fault life and our fault life is being shaped by the devil himself. Well, point three. The first has to do with motivation. The second has to do with meditation. The third has to do with mortification. And he says in verse 5, once and for all, consider as dead. If you've got a New American Standard, if you've got any other translation, it says once and for all, put to death. Put to death. The members of your body, the members of of your body as relates to immorality, etc. And the, and the construction in the Greek, watch this, is you individually must do it decisively. Now, it would be wonderful if God could send down one of these little angels, you know, have those sparks, and he's got a little wand, and he touches us, and all of a sudden we are pure. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. If, if it happens, you will have to put to death you will have to sever all relationships with the world. That's what he's saying. And if the first has to do with motivation and the second has to do with meditation, the third has to do with consecration. And you've got to do it. See, watch me. A little boy and his brother went running into the dentist and Billy said, Billy was the older and he he said, he was a spokesman, he said to the dentist, I've got a tooth that needs pulling and we're in a hurry. So we don't want gas, we don't want anesthetic, we just need this tooth pulled, just pull it, we're in a hurry. And the doctor said, the dentist said, well, you're a pretty brave little boy, to, we have no anesthetic or anything. He said, let me see that tooth, he said to his brother, show him a tooth. Oh, okay, now, what, 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 we, what we want to do is we want somebody else to make the commitment. We want somebody else to solve the problem. We want somebody else to grow as a Christian and spoon feed us so we can. Let me tell you something. We're talking about your growth, your individual growth, and it will not come apart from consecration, mortification, severing relationships. Now, I'm not talking about despising the world and its comforts. So don't come up to me after church and say, when are you going to start riding in a buggy when you're going to throw your TV out? And you go out here north of Wapanuka and you see folks that despise the world 
and, and the comforts of the world and see these things as inroads into to one's spiritual life. I'm not talking about that. I don't think he is. I think what he's saying is, is that you have to learn how to use the world but not become attached to it. And I think that sometimes the reason why God allows things to happen to us the, the way they happen to us is so that God can teach us that we must not become attached to this world and dependent upon it. And that's why James is saying, let a rich man rejoice when he goes broke. You know, I've never thought about using that as counsel for somebody who's gone broke. You'll give me a high five, you've lost everything you've got. What James is saying is, let a rich man rejoice when he loses everything because when he loses everything, he'll discover the true values of life. And for the first time, perhaps, he'll discover that there's no reason to become attached and dependent upon the world. Now, I've got to hurry, and I'm just going to brush these. There are two things from which we must sever our relationship, and it might surprise you when I tell you what they are. The first has to do with the way the world worships. Sever that relationship. Now this is how the world worships. Observe feast days. Keep do's and don'ts and regulations. Follow these rules and that's the way you worship. Paul says that's the way the world worships. For, are you listening? For the control of the Christian life does not come from without. It springs from within. See, And that's why we're taught, we're taught we, the scripture talks about the fruit. For the fruit is the outward manifestation of the inward life. It's what pops out in the life on the outside as the result of what's on the inside. I told some guys this it, it Friday that this, uh, this actually happened to me this week. I was sitting, going through my morning ritual, it, drinking some coffee, reading my sports page, listening to CN News out of this ear, and I was smearing on my toast some Smucker's low sugar, low sugar jam. <laughs> And I'm listening out of, the cor out of this ear, and I heard this guy say, if you, could, if you could taste time and sunlight and rain and tradition, it would taste exactly like this. And I looked, it was Smucker's Jam. And so I put this on my bread, and I tasted time and sunshine and rain and tradition. What I was tasting was what? was put in by time and sunshine and rain and tradition. I love it. Now when Paul says in that fifth chapter of Galatians, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the outward manifestation of the Spirit, he says it's love and joy and peace. And then he adds that little postscript that you've always wondered about where it says, Against such there is no law. And what he was saying is this, that if you allow the Holy Spirit to control your life and live within you, you don't need rules and regulations to follow. If you allow Jesus Christ to live in your life and reproduce himself, you won't have to find a list of do's and don'ts. You won't need them. 
And so when I was growing up, started out preaching, preaching those youth revivals, youth night. And man, youth night, you always got the best results on youth night because you could really get the emotion going, you know. And so, you know, every youth evangelist I've ever heard, and I did it myself, you know, get up on youth night and preach against such terrible stuff as wearing shorts. True story. You know what I'm talking about. Wearing shorts and petting and drinking beer and going to movies. And you'd, you'd give an invitation at the end of that and, and you'd ask, how many of you kids are willing to, to stop petting and, and that kind of, And everybody come. You, 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 nobody would not come. I mean, because their mother would look back and say, he's not going to quit petting. <laughs> I, I, I can tell. Okay. So, so you give those invitations. Or they, they'd come, just line up across the front. You know how long those things, those promises lasted till the next temptation? You know what the answer is? Listen to me, gang. The answer is not, I'm going to follow these rules and regulations. I'm going to fall in love with Jesus, and I'm so in love with Him, I have no desire for the world anymore. I sever relationships with the way the world worships, and I sever relationships with the way the world walks. That's what he's talking about in verse 7. Now he says that there, verse 5 deals with sins of the appetite and verses 8 and 9 deal with sins of the attitude. But there's an interesting little word there in verse 5 of chapter 3. Therefore consider, underline that word members. Now with this I'm through. What if you decided you were just going to cut off the members of your body that participated in sin? You watched a dirty movie, so you cut out your eyes. You just gouge them out. You listen to gossip, so you cut off your ears. You said an evil, you said a malicious word. You, you told a dirty joke, so you cut out your tongue. You reached over and got something that didn't belong to you, cut off your hands. You went where you're not supposed to go, you cut off your legs. You'd say that's, that's ludicrous, that's ridiculous, and it is. Somebody that would do that, you'd say, well, he'd be crippled and maimed and totally dependent upon somebody to take care of him for life. That's correct. Now, spiritually, you know what Paul is saying? Listen to me. He's saying, become so crippled that you're absolutely dependent upon the Lord Jesus to live. Sever every relationship that is not of Him. And when you're through with that severing, what you've got left is an absolute, total dependence upon Him for life. I love it. And that's the key to growth because He's the one indispensable element. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that our minds and our hearts and our desires, our wishes, our wills will be subjugated to yours, surrendered to yours. And may every decision that follows this moment be 
motivated by our relationship to Jesus Christ and our desire and ambition to please Him. For I pray in His name for His sake. Now there's three, three invitations. An invitation for you to come this morning and make a commitment to Jesus Christ. A surrender of your life to Him as your personal Lord and Savior and begin to follow Him with your eyes on Him and you begin to walk. Or maybe you need to come. There were some in the early service who came this morning and joined our church. You need to come and place your life here, maybe on promise of letter, whatever, whatever reason. Or maybe this morning it may be that you have not, you've gotten your eyes off the Lord. You will just come to say, Pastor, I don't know what it, how it happens, but I want to begin, I want to continue, I want to start again to seek the things above and set my mind there, sever relationships with the world. Would you do it? I would stand and sing and invite you to come.